Welcome to the IEEE Brain Podcast Series, an IEEE Future Directions Digital Studio production. In this episode, Jose Carmina from UC Berkeley discusses his firsthand experiences moving from academia to launching the neuroscience startup IOTA Biosciences. Jose informs on the company's technology and sheds light on some of the challenges and opportunities in the neurotech space. Uh, hi, I'm Jose Carmena. I'm uh, founder and co-CEO of IOTA Biosciences, and I'm also a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, currently on leave. Jose, thank you for taking time to contribute to the IEEE Brain Podcast series. To start, what can you tell us about neural dust, and how does it advance neuroscience? So neural dust is a technology that uh, we co-invented uh, in Berkeley with uh, mainly, I mean, the main person is Michel Maharbitz, but also with other colleagues like Jean Rabai and Elad Alon at that time. Um, and the technology was uh, conceived to solve a very important problem in brain machine interfaces, which is the one of the neural interface. And these interfaces don't last, and they're very bulky and rigid and wired, and they have batteries. So we try to think of what's going to be technology that uh, will have all these problems solved. Perhaps there are others, but at least something is free-floating, doesn't need batteries, and really it can be scaled down to really the size that you can actually put into the brain. Um, and, that's, and what is the revolutionary part of the technology is that you can actually power these devices and get information back from them with ultrasound. And that's great because you can go really deep in your body uh, and using small amounts of energy with ultrasound and also make these devices very small. And the combination of these two things, basically, because of the physics of ultrasound, is what enables the technology to be a platform technology both for diagnostics and therapeutics. So how did you know it was time to transition from academia and take a commercial approach? We were working on the technology starting with the the, the initial concept which we published in BioArchive, like a theoretical paper with some numbers about why this is a good idea, why this should work. And then um, we basically built the technology uh, for the peripheral nervous system, so a bigger scale than the brain, taking advantage of the whole you know, um, wave of federal funding coming for bioelectronic medicine, especially for DARPA, but also NSF and NIH in the Brain Initiative. Um, so we developed that, we tested it in vivo, we published the paper in Neuron, and then we saw a lot of uh, interest from the community, mainly clinicians, about uh, potential uses of this technology. Uh, by that time, Michelle and I decided that uh, it was time to basically take leave from Berkeley and, and pursue the, the, the development and use of this technology for human applications, for medical applications first. And that's what, why we basically started IOTA. What can you tell us about IOTA Biosciences? Yeah, IOTA Biosciences was uh, incorporated in the summer of uh, 2017. Um, and then uh, in May 2018, we closed our Series A. Um, we have basically, we are about 16 employees in-house, and, but then we work with a variety of contract manufacturers. So there's a big group of people behind uh, that are taking care of uh, the development of the ASIC, uh, the packaging, the interrogator and other things. Um, the goal of this Series A is uh, to basically get into an IDE. Um, the field of application, or field of use right now is in bioelectronic medicine. And then we recently, we actually 
close a strategic partnership deal with a Japanese pharma company uh, to expand the platform in different medical indications. Uh, so this is a this is this resulted in a in a growth in the company this summer. How do you balance your academic life with entrepreneurship? That's a great question. How to balance um, the academic life with uh, entrepreneurship, uh, especially since I'm on leave at the company. So being on leave, on full leave, means that I don't have teaching duties and, and committee work, which is known as service. Uh, Berkeley doesn't pay my salary um, during this time. Um, but we can still manage our grants, and so we keep our labs. So effectively, it's like, like having two jobs. We are full-time at the company, but then after hours and weekends, whenever, um, we continue with our research academic operation. Um, it's hard. Uh, and, it's, it's, and it's not a sustainable model for long, but right now in these early phases where we have to be at the company, is what, what we have, you have to do. I don't want to close my lab, so, you know. Do you have any recommendations on how to deal with the dual life? I mean, in this case, uh, our academic training actually helps a lot. Having gone through a tenure process, because effectively that's a three-job thing, right? It's teaching, service, and research. So, as you know well, in academia, it's pretty crazy. So, after being there for 14 years, you're already trained for that. What are some of the challenges to launching a startup company? So challenges for startups, I will say there are many, but uh, it just depends on what is the nature of your startup. In med tech, you really need to think about this, uh, the problems of uh, basically regulatory problems, reimbursement codes, uh, of course, IP investment. There's all these pillars that actually have been discussed today at the session, right? So very important. Um, MedTech is a long-term, multi-round type of a um, you know, company timeline as opposed to maybe a more tech software type of company. Uh, so the, the big challenges, I think, are lining up all those pillars from the get-go uh, in the best possible way. Do you have any advice for identifying opportunities within the neuroscience space? You know, increasing your network from early stages, like in, as an undergrad or grad student uh, days, all the way until the day you might start your company, it pays off, right? Uh, like, especially in academia, we tend to do that in conferences. Or so, and then many, many of us, you know, end up going to maybe start a company or something else or to DARPA, right? And uh, so it's a very useful uh, uh, thing that I, um, I think is something that every student should uh, practice, like really go to these meetings, not just for the science, but to really meet people in different areas that might complement their network that eventually is going to be uh, very useful. What are your thoughts on attending the IEEE Neurotech Entrepreneurs Workshop? First one of, the, of, of, of its kind, really. I've never been in a, this type of entrepreneurship type of workshop where you really get to address all the things that are important at such an early stage. Uh, it's a good mix of students, postdocs, and then you know, experts or uh, people are really actually doing the work and they have experience both in academia and industry. And I think that's probably, I mean, we'll see it uh, in, a, in a few years, but uh, uh, as someone said this morning, right, like, I wish I would have had this, this workshop when I was a grad student, right, because the amount of information is being conveyed, it's incredible. I was listening to the talks this morning, it's like, wow, I'm actually learning a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so I think it's, um, it's uh, again, we'll see, time will tell, but I think this is a, this is a great idea. So where do you see neurotech being in the next five to 10 years? I think neurotech is going to exploit uh, in a good way, right? Like uh, what we're all waiting to happen, you know, uh, and of course, it's already a big enterprise and it's real. I'm talking about all the other applications and 
um, the expansion of the ecosystem that right, right now is dominated by traditional medtech companies for, you know, uh, near modulation uh, applications like Parkinson's, etc., all the way to, you know, cardio, whatever, right? But this traditional medical technology, but there is, as you know well, all these um, amount of companies under the radar doing really, really cool stuff that we're all hoping and rooting, you know, we're in the same business, but we're all hoping for these guys to succeed because, you know, we, we, the field needs that. It needs comparables, right? Uh, so, especially like, for example, in bioelectronic medicine, it's a very appealing idea, but we're still waiting for that home run, right? That will be the equivalent to the pacemaker was for a cardio, for example, right? So I think in five, 10 years, uh, we are definitely going to see, and even earlier, many of these companies starting to basically go into market and uh, doing clinical trials. Some of them, they're already doing it. But, but um, it's, a, it's a very exciting time for uh, neurotech. Finally, what do you think has triggered all this neurotech activity? and advancements over the past five years? BMI as a field, uh, I think, has been propelling uh, the fact that there is all this revolution in neurotech now, because you know, it's a very, uh, perhaps, appealing application of uh, what otherwise will be more mundane technology, right, for a given indication. Um, and it's true that in, the, in recent years, uh, other things like you know, people like Elon Musk and Brian Johnson and others starting their own companies with a very bold mission, uh, you know, has really energized the, the field. Um, and many people are switching paths, you know, in, in, from academia into industry and things like that. However, of course, it's important that uh, this and all the companies in, in, in this niche uh, do well, right? So the, because otherwise it can actually damage the, the, the field, right? So we're all rooting. Uh, <laughs> For uh, successful outcomes, right? And examples, but I think it has been a combination of a lot of uh, excitement for more than a decade uh, in this still early early uh, f um, field, like brain machine interfaces, combined with uh, with big investments and you no know, all together, yeah. And perhaps also that the field is starting to be not ripe, but uh, I think it's still in early infancy in a way to. Uh, deploy its full potential, but at the same time, there are already compelling demonstrations of the technology of what you can do with it. Thank you for listening to our interview with Jose Carmina. Discover more about the IEEE Brain Initiative and listen to other podcasts in the series by visiting our web portal at brain.ieee.org.